Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 713th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is promoting biodiversity in our gardens and farms. We're talking with Kathy Gents about Seed Swap Day. Kathy is editor and publisher of the award-winning Washington Gardener magazine based in Washington, D.C. She is also the editor of three plant society journals, the Water Garden Journal, the Azalean, and Fanfare. She hosts the popular Garden D.C. podcast, which was recently named Best D.C. Podcast. Congratulations. Kathy is co-author of The Urban Garden, 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City, and has a new book, Ground Cover Revolution, coming out soon, which is available for pre-order now on Amazon. Her mission is to turn black thumbs green. A lifelong gardener, Kathy believes that growing plants should be stress-free and enjoyable. Her philosophy is inspiration over perspiration. Welcome to the show today, Kathy. Are you ready to rock? I'm ready. Awesome. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Sure, Greg. Uh, my background is journalism. That's my training. And that's coming from a font of curiosity about everything. Mm -hmm. And I am the child of lifelong gardeners and granddaughter of gardeners and farmers on both sides of my family. So I grew up surrounded with plants and growing, but I can't say, Greg, that I love gardening growing up. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> it was one of those things where it was one more chore to do um, mm. and definitely took it for granted and always had a few of my own little plants on a windowsill, but didn't think of myself as a gardener. And then it's when you buy your first place, right? I bought my first condo and it had a walkout patio on it uh, that was attached and I said, I want some flowers. So I bought some flowers. Then I bought some more. And then I went a little crazy. <laughs> and then that's when the gardening bug really hit. And, you know, and then all those things from childhood came back, rushing back. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is why we planted it like this and did that. So <laughs> that's kind of how I got into the gardening bug and quickly 
outgrew my condo garden to the point where the condo board said, Kathy, that's not your space to garden in. <laughs> and gave me a little slap on the wrist. And I said, you know what? You're right. I need to get my own space. So I bought a, a little house on a little urban plot on a very busy street where, between two metro stations here in Washington, D.C., right outside of on the Maryland border. Mm-hmm. And so I garden there and we have a community garden that's diagonal across the street from me. And I have my plot there. And that's mainly where I do my edibles because that's where the full sun is in the community garden plot versus my very heavily shaded home garden. Nice. So you have a community garden across the street. Did you plan it that way? I can say I I had a little bit of machinations. (laughs) (laughs) So when I moved in, it was a plumbing and HVAC business that had been there, I think, for 60 years, a giant gravel parking lot and a billboard that had been grandfathered in. So one day I looked it up and I saw that the park service had a um, kind of, if this property ever sold, it would be to the parks. So nobody else could buy or develop it. But of course, the current owner wasn't selling anytime soon. So I just had to kind of outweigh them. And then when the park service got it, then I just made sure, hmm, you know, it would be a great thing to put on that corner, a community garden. garden. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. Yep. Congratulations. That's epic. Thanks. Yeah. And it's, it's been booming at that community garden. We have like many other community gardens, a long wait list, you know, very active and lots and lots being produced there. Wow. And how, how old is your community garden? I think it's 12 years now. I have to go back wow. and actually look. The, the years kind of fly by, don't they, Greg? Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, oh yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> it was like, is it 10? Is it 15? Yeah, I'll have to go back and actually check the exact date we, we got access to it. So you also are an editor of three plant society journals. Tell me about that, especially the water gardening one. So the Water Garden Journal, that is the International Water Gardening and Water Lily Society. And that is, as the name sounds, all about water gardening. And there's a huge international component in water lily breeding and also lotus breeding. Oh, yeah. So it is the naming society and recording society for both of those plants. So if you ever breed or make your own lotus or water lily, then you would apply for your name and have it approved and recorded through the, through the society. Oh, and how cool is that? Isn't it cool? And then we get to list the new ones every year. And I'm always like, I want that one. I want this one. I want that one. <laughs> yeah. So right. lots and lots of cool new introductions. And of course, because it's international, the publication and most of the the society's communications are all in English, but we have a huge contingent of members oh. in Asia and South Africa and Australia and Europe and I'll a little bit of South do. America. Wow. How did you get into journalism? And specifically, how did you get into gardening journalism? Hmm. So journalism, I went to University of Maryland. And while there, I was 
in the journalism program there, and I took a few internships with local associations. So DC is known for government, of course, but one of the other big industries here is membership associations, either professional or trade, because obviously they could do a lot of lobbying when they're in the DC area. So that's where a lot of them are headquartered. And every association or society needs a publication. So mm. usually needs at least a newsletter or a website or one way or another to communicate with its members. So those are a few of the internships I did. And then when I graduated, I started working for a practical nursing association, you know, having no medical knowledge or anything, <laughs> but I was doing their publications. And then when I went on from there, I was with a school supply association, which is like everything that's in a school, except oh, wow. for the textbooks. So Ooh. there's a separate textbook association, but like everything you would touch in a school is this association, a trade association. And that was fascinating to me. But while I was there and director of communications there, I was starting to look around for something that I wanted to be my own boss at and work for uh -huh. myself. And that was the same time I had the condo and was going gardening crazy and then wanting my own space to garden. And so then I started to put two and two together after a year or so and realize there's a ton of gardening information and resources in the Washington, D.C. area, but not really for the home gardener. There's the USDA in our backyard. There's a lot of research going on and a lot of plant breeding and a ton of public gardens, but that's not really being communicated to the home gardener. So that's when I thought I should start a publication for area home gardeners that's regional just for this area so washington gardener magazine is a magazine you started mm -hmm. yep oh. so that was 2005 march was our first issue wow that's another epic congratulations mm -hmm. thanks yeah i'm like again i can't believe it's 17 going on 18 years i have to do, start doing some math and start to think <laughs> of something i'm like 20 is coming up soon i need to do something big for that one right and do you do a monthly or quarterly? So we were quarterly in print and we switched a few years ago to all digital format and uh -huh. that allowed us to be um, monthly. So I could crank oh. out more issues and quicker because it's digital. Yeah. This is for the Washington, D.C. area and surrounding area, right? Correct. So if somebody wanted to subscribe, check out your website, where do we find you at? So they can go to washingtongardener.blogspot.com or just Google Washington Gardener Magazine. That should get you there. I do get some subscribers from Washington State and some of them <laughs> don't leave. They get the name mixed up, but yeah. we have, we're mainly zone six and seven. And so mainly zone six, six and seven gardeners right. will subscribe in other areas too, if they don't have a local publication. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thanks. And today we're actually here to talk about your seed swap day. This is something you started also over a decade mm -hmm. ago. So tell us about seed swap day and how it got started. The first year of the magazine, I started to realize that winter time was obviously slowing down. We still have a bit to do in the garden, but not like those way south of us. So I was like, this is a time of year where we can start talking about seeds or seed swapping. And I loved 
going to plant swaps and that sort of thing. So then that's when I realized, you know what, I'm going to put on a local seed exchange. And I looked up how to get a holiday named. So the official like holiday index naming. Um, and it was easy. You just filled out a very brief form. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then I said, National Seed Swap Day always the last Saturday of January. Um, so I filled that out, sent in the application, the National Register of, of Holidays, sent it right back and said approved. And so there we went. And since then, I've dropped the national part of it. I realized that was a mistake. I was like, that was short-sighted of me <laughs> because one of the first people that contacted me about having a local seed swap in their area was in Canada and uh, they're like can we participate in national seed swap day and I was like mm -hmm. oh yes you can and why did I name it national that was dumb <laughs> <laughs> so you got that fixed mm -hmm. so now I just refer to it as seed swap day and if, if people use national that's fine too yeah. but so we're just trying to promote seed swaps happening it doesn't have to be exactly that date. That Saturday doesn't work for you or your group. It could be just around then. So, and we list all the seed swaps and seed exchanges we know about that happen. And our emphasis is on in-person seed swapping versus online or by mail or, or mm -hmm. otherwise. So that's what we're trying to promote and of course because of covid in the last couple of years that kind of slowed things down uh because in person was not the ideal right. <laughs> for that but now i think we're roaring back and we'll have i think as many as we've had at our height my goal is eventually one in every country and every state to mm -hmm. there be some type of seed swapping activity some I states like how you think yeah, yeah exactly some states have several like North Carolina, you might have one in Raleigh, somebody might be doing one at their local community center or library. Everybody can have a little independent one in several places. And then other states, I just will not hear anything from. I'll keep asking and asking around master gardener groups and other groups. I'm like, do you host a seed exchange? What do you guys do? Is there any happening? And, you know, just nothing, crickets. Yeah, I've experienced that a little bit, but that's okay. You're doing mm -hmm. great work. Mm -hmm. And for those of our listeners that don't know what a seed swap is, can you give us a picture? Like for your mm -hmm. seed swap that you do in Washington, D.C., when you walk in the door, what's going on? Sure. When you walk in, we call ours a seed exchange because we do ours a little bit different style, but I'll try to describe ours and then how some others might run theirs. And we ask you to come in and drop your seeds off at the check-in desk. So you'll come in, you'll make a name tag, you'll get a goodie bag, and then you'll see a table to the side that's called free garden information. Mm -hmm. And that's where people can leave books and magazines and brochures and anything else, other literature they want to, to promote maybe their local garden or community garden or anything else. Or if you just have used garden books that you're done with, you know, that those are on the freebie tables. So I ask people to peruse those and take home whatever they like from that. And then we call it to order and we start off with a couple speakers talking about seed starting topics. And then we break and reset the tables and you'll see around the room, all the tables have a category name. So all on the perimeter of the room and the seating is in the middle theater style. And it might be herbs, it might be nightshade plants, it might be annual flowers, annual vines. 
So while the speakers are talking to you about those fascinating topics, our volunteers are taking the seeds that were dropped off at the door and placing them in the categories on the tables. So putting all the tomatoes together, we're not alphabetizing them or going a little crazy like that. <laughs> we just try to make sure they're at least on the right table. And then we have a little bit of a preview period, I call it. So you get to get up, stretch your legs, have a snack, and then walk around to the tables and see what's there. So you can kind of take a notepad or something and say, okay, I want these three tomatoes. I want this, I want that. And you know, keep your list with you. And then I have a share and tell session where I ask people to get up and talk about what they brought. So if there was something significant, like these were beans that my grandparents grew and brought over from Norway or, you know, nice. something like that. That's my favorite part, Greg. I love the You're sharing. bringing the stories in. Yeah. And so that's also where somebody can say, hey, I saw such and such a tomato on the table. I've never heard of it. Who brought that? And can you tell me about it? So that's also part of that share and tell exchange part of the day. And then we do the rounds of swapping. Are people just bringing cups of seeds in or are they? No. In, yeah, we're asking them. Prepackaged. Correct. So they can be a seed that you bought commercially and use 10 of. And then you have 90 left in the packet and you reseal it. So that could be one way or it could be seed packs you've never used. Or it could be seeds that you have gathered from your plants. And then we ask you to package them in what we would say what a home gardener would grow quantities so if it's a watermelon maybe 10 seeds mm -hmm. that sort of thing and we give you some guidelines for that we also have a little area to the side to repack seeds so if somebody just came in just heard <laughs> about the seed swap and they had a big bag of popcorn kernels <laughs> and they were like okay i grew this popcorn and here's the kernels and we're like uh you can't just put the giant bag out there <laughs> so yes individually packed seeds so after the sharing then i call people up in groups to get their first pick so it might be everybody who's wearing blue go get your seat first seed pack <laughs> everybody who's not wearing blue go get your seed pack so everybody's had the first round and then we do the next round might be everybody who was born before 1955 and everybody who was born after 1955 so we'll do a few rounds of that of everybody gets their first second third and then we'll look what's left on the tables and we'll say okay this round pick two packs this round etc and maybe we'll do three to five rounds of that and then i do my favorite part in the, the swapping part, which is free for all. So <laughs> that's where you can go and clear off the tables at that point. Everybody's right. had their first picks. And then the most important point after that is don't leave. We ask people to stick around and then people can say, I got my first three picks, but I didn't get that particular pepper. Does somebody have that pepper? And somebody across the room will say, I picked up that pepper. And then we have that seed packing table that was for when you came in and you wanted to oh. pack your seeds and you can split that pack with them. In almost all Aww. cases, everybody ends up with what they wanted, right? Or they might even say, you know, I was really hoping today to get some lavender and I didn't get that English lavender and I didn't see it on any tables. And somebody will say, I have some at home. I just didn't bring it because I didn't think anybody wanted it. So they can exchange information that way too. I'm getting chills as you're sharing. This is truly <laughs> an epic event. Mm -hmm. Wow. You just yeah, make like, a fun party out of it. Exactly. And it's all about the sharing. And then you come away with new friends and new gardening information mm -hmm. and learning. I think the educational part, of course, is a big component of it. And try to get really great speakers that have 
information that you're not just going to find in a book or anything that's from their experience actually doing that. And like I said, our swap, that's why I call it an exchange in that mm -hmm. you're depositing all the seeds and then we're placing them all out and then you pick them up. And then that also means that some people will come to the door with one or two packs in their hand and other people will come with a hundred packs. <laughs> and it all evens out like yeah. everybody is treated equally and if and i always say that if you are a totally beginner and you don't have any seeds mm -hmm. you know, that's fine too it always evens out because people who bring seeds bring a lot usually <laughs> so, right that's the abundant nature mm -hmm. of seeds oh for sure and we also solicit seeds to supplement our our exchange from some seed companies so i'll usually buy in a, a, a bit of seed too and have it just some of those will be in the goodie bags and that's mm. well, i'll say everybody here got a new pepper from burpee in their goodie bag seed pack so you don't need to go get it on the table <laughs> it's already in your bag or if you don't want that you know, you could put that up back on the table. So for somebody who might need it for a school garden or something like that. One of the things that I discovered a few years ago, this is kind of a little off topic, mm -hmm. is that there's, well, I've known this for a long time. There's an expiration date on a seed, mm -hmm. packet of seeds, mm -hmm. but seeds don't expire. We know that. And what I found was that a lot of the big box stores dispose of seeds that have expired. Mm-hmm. So that's also a great place to go to collect seeds and seed packets with an expiration date on them, pass or expiration date. Have you ever done that? Yeah, we'll go to local garden centers or others. And yeah, legally in a lot of states, depends on your state and their local mm -hmm. law and ag laws, you can't sell past that date. Right. They're still perfectly viable, as you said. And we'll usually go over that in when we send the email confirming people attending it's lettuce seed usually needs to be fresh that's the one seed that we ask to be a year mm. or less so definitely don't try to bring lettuce seed that's over five years because the german nation rate might even be less than one percent at that point <laughs> but most other seeds if they're kept cool and dry and dry is the most important of course then they're usually at least a 70 or 80 percent viability yeah well, and as Bill McDormand, one of my buddies and a longtime guest on the podcast, says, if you keep them cool, dark, and dry, mm -hmm. and you get a bunch of seeds and you get a 2% germination rate, you got a 2% germination rate. You got plants. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just plant so. 10 times the amount. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And do you have on your website, do you have a breakdown of what you just shared with me so that somebody could go there, mm -hmm. download it, and play yeah so on our seedswapday.com we have a how to run a seed exchange also how to attend one because that's usually the more common one is what do i expect like you asked when we get there for, it's my first one ever mm -hmm. and then i always say on the the how to this is how we run ours other people do there's completely different so it's more of a literal swap and i've yeah. been to several of those where you get a table and you lay out your seeds and then people come around and walk around the tables with their seeds and it's literally hey i'd like those those tomatoes i have this corn would you swap with me nice so the whole intent behind this event is that we're swapping seeds for free mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so usually there'll be a nominal fee for attending a seeds mm -hmm. club because usually either you're paying the speakers Boy. or for the venue or that yeah. sort of thing. Sometimes it'll be completely free, like if it's hosted by master gardeners at a local library and they have the free space and it's all volunteer run. And then some of them will be a little bit more than a nominal fee because they're providing a meal or some other education or other thing with it. But yeah, I don't know any that are more than say $25 at the most. And you're yeah. usually going away with $50 <laughs> worth of seed. I, it's hard to quantify, but you're probably, yeah. it, seed people are generous usually. And that's a good point, Greg, is that sometimes seed swaps also have bonus things. We talked about our freebie literature table and books, mm -hmm. but we also have a table of cuttings and bulbs. So we've oh. kind of expanded into that too, in that right. we're like, oh yeah, I forgot. People want to bring houseplant divisions and people also want to take a cutting of something. So we'll usually have a side table of that as well. Nice. And you... You've been doing this now for what, 15 years? Mm -hmm. This is a question that I ask people, and it's about magic that happens in your space. And what I'd like for you to share with me is that moment that something happened at one of your seed swaps that you said to yourself, oh my gosh, this is why I do what I do. <laughs> hmm. Well, one thing I think I can think of is the native pawpaw tree. Mm -hmm. And we have a, a category or table for trees and shrubs. And every year people would bring in packets of pawpaw seeds. And then every year somebody would say, I have no luck in growing pawpaw at all. It just doesn't germinate for me. And we'd be like, that's weird because they're a prolific plant, right? <laughs> they grow mm -hmm. literally like weeds. And then one year a lady came in and she looked down at the, the pawpaw seed packs that were arrayed on the table. And she said, oh, these are all dry. <laughs> we're like, yeah because that's what you do with seeds, right? You clean them off and you put them on drying racks and then you store them. And right. she said, no, you never, ever, ever let a pawpaw seed go dry because it won't germinate. It has oh. to be kept moist. So it's got that like kind of thick membrane around it yep. naturally. So try not to break that. And if you do keep it just in a like moist paper towel in a baggie until you're ready to bring it to that swap or exchange or plant it in a moist soil mix and you could bring that little like potted plant to the to the exchange but yeah we're like oh <laughs> that's what we've been doing wrong this whole time so there right. are some seeds some seeds rare seeds we talked about cool dry right some seeds yeah. want to be not dry and there's a few seeds that want to be warm that never want to be cold so you just have to know about those few exceptions well awesome so tell me a little bit about your books you've got one that's out called the urban garden and you've got one that i just got a press release for yesterday called ground cover revolution tell me about mm -hmm. them the first came out april 2022 and i co-wrote that with terry spate and that is the urban garden 101 ways to grow food and beauty in the city so it's both ornamental and edible gardening and really it's all about small space solutions like mm -hmm. 101 really creative ways to grow and find space to grow and my mission in the book really was all the people who would come to me over the years and say, I have no space to garden. And I would be like, you're a liar. 
<laughs> Let me show you where you have space to grow. And these are either vertical growing techniques or other techniques, but also inventive ways and fun ways to grow and creative ways that you might not have thought of before. So really, it's an idea book. And I think of it as something that you just sit down with on a rainy day or snowy day and flip through and then you pick out one or two ideas and implement those so to be inspired by and then you might come back a couple months later and pick out a couple more so it's not the type of book I think that you would read cover to cover and you know mm -hmm. you're welcome to do so but it's more a dip in and out and get inspired and then get raring to go in the garden let's rock and then come back and you're like oh i didn't know about this technique let me do this one that that book the new new book coming out february 2023 and uh -huh. that's ground cover revolution and it's all about alternatives to turf grass and ways that you can replace that either in small patches or large and it includes 40 profiles of great ground covers and because wow. the book is aimed internationally i'm kind of like my hands were kind of tied in some of the choices i made so i had to make sure things were available in most countries and familiar and in a broad range of growing climates so the, those are the 40 profiles. And then we also have a chart in there. And that's my favorite part of the book, which is a chart that you can go down and look for the attributes you want in your ground cover. Say you want deer proof, drought tolerant, and edible. Maybe I also want some pollinator flowers on that ground cover. So you might go down and look across the chart and to see what might be available for that. Or maybe you have dry shade and you are looking for something that is in your growing zone so you might mm -hmm. look for it that way wow and tell us how and why ground covers are important number one way is you want to hold in soil bare soil is the biggest no-no right in gardening if you don't want the regular work of maintaining a turf grass lawn and or the non-eco-friendly inputs you can let your lawn go to weed that's one way to do it <laughs> and your mm -hmm. ground covers weeds or you can consciously take a part of that turf grass out and then say i want a sedum ground cover or carex or something else that will contribute in additional ways to the local ecosystem so it'll absorb more storm water or it will provide flowers for pollinators or food for the wildlife in additional ways that turf grass wouldn't and still be able to say to my HOA or maybe your local community or city or county has laws about what you can maintain in your front yard. And it couldn't come out at a better time with the massive drought that we're in the midst of. Mm -hmm. at this point and getting rid of your lawn mm -hmm. yeah so we talk about obviously a lot of drought tolerant and low mm -hmm. water alternatives i do have some of the 40 profiles though that are for the opposite because i do sure. know people who have that swale in the backyard and uh -huh. you probably know of several too greg that i always run into people who are like in a new townhouse division and they're like all the water from the community dumps to our backyard yep. <laughs> and we have yeah. this little swamp area what can we plant there because the turf isn't growing well at that point and not having a good time so what can we put there awesome well thanks for that mm -hmm. and the, where can you find your books at the new one uh the urban garden is available 
wherever you get books, Amazon, mm-hmm. bookshop, independent bookstores, local public gardens. And the same will be for the ground cover one. Um, it's on pre-order now on both Amazon and bookshop and through the publisher, which is Quarto Publishing. So you can go directly to their website as well. Cool. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you might've learned from it. There's no failures. It's only learning experiences, right? Right. (laughs) Well, and that's why I asked this question mm -hmm. so that people can see there's no failures. It's all learning experiences. Definitely. So I would say I had a failure in, I would communicating with those who are very anti having plants in their front yard instead of grass. <laughs> this would be for our local county laws. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm still trying to to fight that battle. And I'm I'm very stubborn, Greg. I'm not going to give up. So basically Good. just trying to get the county laws to change that yes, it can be above six inches high. Uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a wildflower meadow, one extreme to the other, but there should be exceptions to our local ordinances that were implemented mainly in the 50s and 60s when everything was so regimented and uh, needed to look like cookie cutter subdivisions. There is alternative ways that are equally as viable and should be available in your front yard to grow food, to grow other alternatives, even a little apple orchard if you wanted to. Awesome. And what do you consider your biggest success? The magazine, because that's kind of the backbone oh, of everything for yeah. me, where, which everything grows out of. That one, because if I didn't have started the magazine, I wouldn't have done the podcast. I wouldn't have done Seed Swap Day. It wouldn't have led to the books. So to me, that's my biggest success. Nice. And we haven't talked about your podcast yet. So mm-hmm. you brought it up. Tell me about it. Give us a one minute commercial about your podcast and why people should listen. Yeah. So Garden DC, all one word. And it's mainly focused on mid-Atlantic gardening, and which I pretty loosely define as kind of New York State through the Carolinas and then out through Ohio. And again, zone six, seven, eight-ish. It's an interview format. It's about an hour long, and then of that hour, about 45 minutes is an interview on one garden topic or one plant family with an expert. So it has to be somebody who really knows their their stuff about that. So it might be all about viburnum, or it might be all about growing watermelon, or it could be a gardening technique like composting. And then there's a few other short segments to the show. I do a plant profile in every one and I've added oh, a yes. new one. Yeah. And that's my, that's the one I like to do. That's my little baby. I like doing the little short plant profiles and the new segment we've added is called the last word. And I've just added that in the last couple of months of episodes. And that is inviting any gardener anywhere um, who listens to the show. So you could be a horticultural professional or just just have a little backyard growing patch to give me a last word on any topic that's garden related. So it could be why I love water gardening, or it could be why I'm not a big fan of deer. Right, Greg? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I was just walking on the property today and there were deer tracks across my front yard. Mm. They had the nerve, right? The nerve. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, and I've got some fruit trees coming in in uh, February, and I'm thinking, all right, how am I going to protect 
the fruit trees from the deer because they're going to want to munch on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to do some fencing or deer fencing or something around them. Yeah. And what drives you? I would say I'm self-diagnosed ADHD and, fo and have FOMO. How's that? <laughs> so <laughs> FOMO, fear of missing out. And I yep. always want to say that that's like one of my biggest drivers is that, oh, I can't not know about this. Like I can't not have my fingers into this. So that's why I'm like, why I probably even started the seed exchanges because I'm like, oh, but if other people are swapping seeds, I'm not having some of those seeds. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> it's almost like a control thing, but that's lessened over the years. And so I want to go to every possible local garden event, go attend every possible garden club meeting or public garden in the area and know everything I can. It's just self-motivated and FOMO. And the ADHD is everybody asks, when do you sleep? And I'm like, oh, I sleep hard, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> like, I fall into bed and I sleep hard at night. Yep. But while, my, while I'm awake, I'm definitely a go, go, go. Awesome. And if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? This probably has been previously recommended, I'm going to bet, Greg, but I would say Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. Oh. And I have been living with that book on my nightstand next to me, I think for five or six years now, at least. Wow. And my local library allows audiobook checkouts. And so I keep reordering it because you get a you know like a three-week uh, period with it and I keep listening to her because it's the author herself reading the book wow. so when I'm taking walks or out weeding in the garden I'm listening to podcasts and other things but I'll always come back to Robin reading sections of Braiding Sweetgrass and it's, it was just a life-changing book I highly recommend that wow actually Heidi my partner said Greg have you seen this book I said, yeah, it's been recommended a couple of times. So it is now sitting on my head, my side table. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's so, so beautifully written and just so full of passion and for plants. And it's an easy book to read in that it's essay style. You can just dip in and out a little bit at a time and really absorb it and then come back to it. Nice. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Take it easy on yourself not trying to do everything at once. I feel like the cobbler with the children with no shoes <laughs> saying that. <laughs> and right? that I always I always tell them in the magazine we publish a, a monthly garden to-do list and you'll have like 40 items on it or something. And I'll say this is not a prescription. This is this is a list of you can do. These are mm -hmm. not you must do. Mm -hmm. So pick one or two, do them well, and then reward yourself and then come back and do some more later. So try to take it easy on yourself because you will try to do too much at once and you'll get burnt out. And I hate to see a burnt out gardener. I hate to see right. somebody give up because they didn't accomplish everything at once. They didn't grow that perfect tomato and pepper and blah, 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 and the potatoes and everything else that first year. You're not going to do it your first year. That's just not going to happen. And I had to relearn that moving from Phoenix, Arizona, where I gardened for 45 years to Asheville, North Carolina. And I have had two gardens since I got here in April. Mm -hmm. And both of them have been sad gardens. Mm -hmm. So, but I'm learning, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, it's a way different place to grow than the low desert. So, mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Kathy. Thanks for having me, Greg. You bet. And uh, I want to refocus back real quickly, uh, and I'm going to call it what you first named it, National Seed Swap Day. Mm -hmm. And it really should be International Seed Swap Day. That's a better name for it. Mm -hmm. Where can people find out about that? And I really encourage people to go to the website and actually do a seed swap. Mm -hmm. Don't just attend one. So where can we find out more? You can go to seedswapday.com or seedswapday.blogspot.com. That will point you to the, you to the same place. And there will mm -hmm. be a place where you can click on emailing or entering your local seed swap information. And we'll add you to the list if you're not already listed on there. And or if you're looking for one around you and you can attend that, it'll have a link to that. And you can also find out how to start one if you don't see one around you. So if you're like, I'm living in the middle of a garden desert, so to speak, and nobody else is holding one. So that's when you want, that's when we want you to really hold one. And, um, you can also find me on social media all on almost every platform. I'm at WDC Gardener. So all one word and the letters WDC, then Gardner. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash seed swap day. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.